There was a monk who had lived in a monastery for many years, but from the very beginning he was considered to be a bit of a problem case by the other monks there. He overslept in the mornings, he was frequently late for prayer, he appeared to be inattentive during Mass. When it was his turn to clean the kitchen, he never did the job to the satisfaction of the other monks. He left the cupboards disorganized and the pots half-washed. When it was his turn to tend the garden, there were always weeds left over in the vegetable beds. His habit was often dirty, and he could be grumpy sometimes. The other monks tried their best to reform him, but to no avail, and so they just gave up, and they considered him to be the community's cross to bear. Well, the monk grew old and frail, and he knew that he would soon die. And as he lay on his deathbed, the other monks noticed, they observed about him, a deep sense of peace. And they couldn't understand this, and so they asked him, Brother, you know that you have not been a very good monk during your life. You are undisciplined. You are inattentive at prayer. Why do you have such peace? What right do you have to have such peace? Aren't you concerned that you're going to soon stand before your judge and have to give an account of your life? And the monk told them, Brothers, you are correct. I have not been a very good monk. But I am at peace because I have never judged anyone. And so I know that my maker will judge me with great mercy. Now the monk in this story took to heart Jesus' words from last Sunday's gospel when he said, stop judging and you will not be judged. It's true, Christ commands us not to judge. But it's also true that we can't help but make judgments all the time about a wide variety of things, right? Judgment is just a function of our reason. It involves making observations and then uh, discerning distinctions between things and then choosing the best option. So if I have two apples, two pieces of fruit, and one apple is ripe and the other apple is rotten, I judge that the ripe one is good to eat and not the rotten one. And so I choose the ripe one, right? And the scriptures, they implore us to use our judgment to make these distinctions all the time between good and evil. Jesus himself says in the Gospels, he who is not with me is against me. And in his parables, he talks about separating out the wheat from the weeds, the sheep from the goats. Even our readings today talk about making a distinction between husks and the grain, the grapes and the brambles, good fruit and bad fruit. So Christianity is a religion of many distinctions, distinctions between light and darkness, between life and death, between a blessing and a curse. So when Jesus commands us not to judge, he's not forbidding us from using this faculty of our reason to make distinctions. He's not forbidding us to to judge the quality of apples or the quality of our actions. He forbids us from judging other people. Because to judge other people is to put ourselves in the place of God. 
which is prideful and presumptuous to the extreme. Furthermore, Jesus teaches us that if we expect to receive mercy from God, we need to show that mercy to others. He teaches us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's a saying, hate the sin and love the sinner. And uh, I think it's getting a bit cliche, right? But there's a truth to that. It makes a very important distinction between a person's actions and their culpability, between their sins and between the state of their soul. Let's go back to catechism class, do a little review. For someone to be in a state of mortal sin, there's three things that that have to happen, right? First, they have to commit uh, a gravely immoral act, but also they have to have sufficient knowledge of the wrongness of that act. And then third, they have to have sufficient freedom of their will that they're able to, to freely choose that act. So they have to do something that's gravely immoral, they have to know that it's wrong, and they have to choose to do it anyway. And if those three things aren't present, their culpability for the evil act can be lessened, or in some cases, even removed. Now, I can observe someone's actions. I can observe someone's actions, and I can judge that act to be sinful. But I can't read someone else's mind to know whether or not they had sufficient knowledge of the wrongness of their action. And I can't look into someone's heart to see what sorts of influences might have been compromising their will. Nor can I know how the Holy Spirit is is at that moment, maybe, moving their heart to repentance. So in other words, I might be able to condemn their actions, but I can't know the state of their soul. And so it's wrong in the extreme for me to condemn them. I mean, I have a hard enough time knowing my own mind and my own heart most of the time. I certainly can't stand in judgment over anyone else's. So we cannot judge other people, but we can judge actions. We can judge actions. And while it is a a, a work of mercy to admonish the sinner, the sinner that we're called to admonish first and foremost is ourselves. It's us. And this is Jesus' message for us in the gospel today. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me remove that splinter in your eye, when you do not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye? Now, is it a good thing to help someone remove a splinter from their eye? Yes, absolutely. Do you want someone who's blind to help you remove a splinter from your eye? I don't. (laughs) Right? No, no. You can't effectively help someone remove the splinter of sin from their eye while we're blinded by our own sins, right? Because that's what sin does. Sin blinds us. It, It keeps us from seeing the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God. This is why so many of the healing miracles that Jesus performs in the Gospels uh, involve restoring sight to the blind. Because Christ is the light of the world. C.S. Lewis said one time that he believes in Christianity the way that he believes in the sun. He said, not because I see it, 
but because by its light I see everything else. By freeing us from our sins, Christ gives us back our sight, and he allows us to see clearly. So that's why we first have to deal with that beam in our own eye. And the first step in doing that is to recognize it for what it is. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, Jesus asks, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own? We have to perceive it. We have to recognize it, to know that it's there. So rather than judging the sins of others, we need to turn that that critical eye, that judgmental eye, inward towards ourselves and take a real, honest inventory of our own imperfections just to be real with ourselves so that we can identify those beams in our eyes, so that we can see those areas in our life where we need healing. And a really good tool to help us do this is an examination of conscience. Right? Examinations of conscience, they're, they're lists of questions that the church provides us as a tool to help us to, to really look at our lives, to look at our choices, to look at our desires, and identify anything there that's not pleasing to God or not in conformity with his commandments? Right? What areas of our life are we selfish in? Right? Where are we prideful? What vices have we let take root in our hearts that we need to root out? In our bulletins um, this week, there's an insert that has a, a very brief, a very short examination of conscience that the U.S. bishops have put out. Um, that's there for all of you to take and, and look at. In the entryway to the church, by the statue of the Sacred Heart, there is a much more extensive list of questions, an examination that's been put together by the Fathers of Mercy. Take one of those with you. Most good Catholic prayer books will have examinations of conscience in them. Use these tools, especially as you prepare yourself for confession. Use them prayerfully. They're usually based on the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes, right? But they provide these questions that help us to reflect upon our past actions and our attitudes. And as we're asking ourselves these questions, we have to make judgments, right? This is a tool to help us learn to make these judgments. But we're not judging ourselves. We're judging our actions. We're judging our desires. We're not judging ourselves. Because just as it's wrong for for me to judge you, for me to judge other people, it's also wrong for me to judge myself. Because guess what? That's still God's job. I'm not my own judge. God is. I judge my actions. If I judge myself at all, it's to judge myself too good for my sins. Because you're too good for your sins. Your sins are beneath you. You're too good for them. God didn't make you that way. God made you too good for that. That's why we turn away from our sins. They're beneath us. Okay, so step one is to perceive that beam in our eye, to perceive it, to recognize it, so that we can diagnose that disease in order to find the cure. And the next step is to remove the beam, to remove the beam, to repent from those sins, to go to confession, receive absolution, be reconciled with God and with the church. Remove the wooden beam from your own eye first, Jesus says, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. We will see clearly. Once we remove the beam, we will see clearly that this other person 
is a person made in the image and likeness of God. We will see clearly that that splinter of sin in their eye is harming them, is harming this person whom God loves. We will see clearly that God is not calling us to condemn that person, but to help them remove that splinter from their eye. We will see clearly. It's far too easy for us to ignore our own sins while holding everybody else accountable. So as we enter into Lent this week, as we begin our Lenten devotions, I challenge all of us, myself included, to be a little bit more strict with ourselves. A little bit more strict with ourselves in judging our own actions and our own desires, right? And more forgiving towards other people. More merciful towards other people. I'll end with another brief story. There was a parish priest who was a very good priest, and he took his spiritual life very seriously, and he tried best he could to be a holy man. But the sin that he struggled with the most was pride. And by the grace of God, he recognized this. He knew it, and so he took steps to guard against it, and he asked God to help him overcome it. So one morning, while he was preparing for Mass, an angel appeared to him. And the angel said that he was going to reveal to this priest who the holiest person in the church was. And this terrified the priest. He thought he was being tested because he was afraid the angel would show him himself and that that would lead him into pride and to his downfall. But instead, the angel shone a light upon a woman who was sitting with her head down in the back of the church. She was a prostitute. And the priest said to the angel, there must be some mistake. This woman is a known sinner. And the angel said, I know. But right now, she loves God more than anybody else here. We can never know how God is working in the hearts of other people. So I try to remember that whenever I'm tempted to judge someone else. I try to assume that this other person is closer to God than I am. And you know what? If I'm judging them, they are. They probably are. Sin prevents us from seeing clearly, and we struggle enough seeing the truth of our own hearts, let alone the hearts of other people. The only one who is completely without sin, and the only one who can see those beams in our eye perfectly, with perfect clarity, is Jesus Christ. He sees clearly the beam in our eye. He knows what it is. He knows how it got there. He knows how to remove it. If we accept his help, He'll remove that beam and bear it on his shoulders all the way to Calvary. He'll be nailed to it and he will die upon it. And our condemnation will die with him. So if we really want to help people remove the splinters from their eyes, that's how we have to do it. Because we're not their judge. Christ is. And we're also not their savior. Christ is. So let's lead them to Christ and show them that their splinter too is part of that wood that makes up 
his blessed cross.